0: Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT and T.
1: Hey everyone, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast "How Rude Tanneritos. or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. At JCPenney, fashion counts for everybody and every At prices that feel just as good, discover brands that get you and put style and comfort first, like Worthington and Liz Claiborne for her, each in women's petite and plus sizes. Here, spring comes
2: in all shapes, sizes, and colors. JCPenney make everybody count.
3: You are listening to Waiting on Reparations, production of iHeart Radio. Yeah, yeah. Check it, yo. Hey, y'all, I'm really trying to cope. So I'm screaming we should eat the rich. People kept down, but I guess they gotta keep them pinched. Think we should switch, try to do this shit a better way. Got you looking up and walking over where your brother lay. That's where he be at. You ain't trying to see that. Got your money, but all of your currency is fiat. B-H-With me, I ain't bothered at all. This how most civilizations will just wobble and fall. Matter of fact, don't do it for a pat on the back. Do it cause it's where your heart and soul is actually at. If you do it for the camera, that's a matter of cap. It's almost like, Capitalism is actually whack. Who would have dunk it? They brought the Kool-Aid, y'all niggas drunk it. You lucky I ain't get on this tape. I would've dunked it. It's how it's supposed to go, That's how they want it to function. But it ain't gonna work, cause we ain't putting enough in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dope knife, dope knife, Ling with Franka Waiting, waiting on rapper reper reper repa rap chuns. Hey, what's up? People, how y'all doing? My name is Dope Knife.
4: I'm Lingua Franca.
3: And we are waiting on reparations.
4: Hurry up. Yo, 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 yo. What's up? What's up? What's up? Another wonderful week.
3: I'm feeling a bit more energized with it, you know. I just took a little trip back home to Savannah, so seeing old friends and fans and shit like that. It got a got a little pep in my step. Brothers feeling good about the shit right now. Although I got to say that downtown Savannah, y'all should probably put some masks on. I mean, that shit is like there wasn't no pandemic and shit like niggas is just going around like that shit is all good. So, Miss Franco, what have you been up to since I took my Savannah sabbatical?
4: So for me this week, it's an exciting week. Um, My partner and I, Paul Glaze, who we've previously had on the show, found a place together. Uh, and we're moving in uh, in a couple of weeks, so that's super exciting and scary. But you know, uh, particularly as we approach the topic this week of um, housing insecurity and homelessness, um, I just uh, the journey we've been on as folks, you know, with who haven't lost much employment under COVID, just you know, decent credit scores, et cetera, the struggle for us to f- even find a place in a a small town or, you know, like a small city of the size of Athens has been interesting and just shed a lot of light for me personally on like how hard, yeah, how hard it is to find a place to live, how lucky we all are to have places to live if we do.
3: So one of the things that I ended up doing when I was uh, in Savannah for this past week was, you know, I lived there for 15 years. You get to know people, you grow your social net, and, you know, as sad as it is, there's certain homeless people whose faces become familiarity and, you know, you're used to seeing them in, at the same spot. And, I mean, depending on your personality, you know, sometimes those people make a, a bigger impact on you than others do, but they stay with you and they stay on your mind. And I moved out of Savannah right before COVID hit. So there was a lot of uh, people uh, that I would see around that I was just, you know, that I had continued to think about and just wonder how they were managing uh, now uh, since uh, COVID hit. Savannah has always had a, you know, I I don't know if it can be described as issue, but I think if one person is homeless, it's an issue. So I'll say Savannah's always had an issue with homelessness since I've lived there. And I just didn't imagine that um, COVID or the economic downturn help that situation at all
4: so the department of housing and urban development is responsible for the annual homeless assessment reports in 2014 um they counted about 100 or they counted about 1.5 million homeless people as of 2018 they reported approximately 0.17 percent of the population or about 553,000 people in the united states are homeless on a given night Several major cities, including New York and Los Angeles, have seen that skyrocket over the last three years to an almost forty percent increase. I think if you balance for the fact that we have millions of unoccupied homes all across um, the United States, as I was rapping about a little bit last week, um, I definitely get behind arguments that the, the issue is not um, like needing more housing or needing, you know, so these solutions. The problem is that. We, Rob's capitalism. We have all these houses that no one's living in, all these people that have nowhere to live uh, because they can't afford it. And, um, something I think about every day is I, like, walk past the homeless shelter right around the corner from our house and think that, uh, like, a block up, there's a luxury student high-rise apartment complex. That's probably at, like, 50% capacity. These people could easily be living in until they find enough tenants to, like, rent those units at market rate. But no. Um... Even to, like, get, even to get, like, landlords, you know, like, we have a program in Athens where, we're, like, we'll pay people's rent for them if they're trying to get, like, permanent supportive housing. Like, the Housing Community Development Department will literally pay for people, will give people vouchers for rent, and landlords won't accept them because they are scared of the risks of housing formerly unhoused people on their, in their properties, and it's just such a, such a clusterfuck to think about, really
3: homelessness in this country is pretty much been a national issue since like the 1700s and shit and across that time it's always been blunders in capitalism and the strains that they put on the economy that always add to the growing rate and this is I mean is how far you want to take it back you know you can go back to the Great Depression or you can go all the way to the financial collapse back in 08 you know what I'm saying and everything in between and everything that happened after and everything that's going to happen in the future.
4: So that's what we're getting into in today's episode. We're going to dive into the problem, homelessness and some major causes, talk about some tangible solutions. The work currently being done now and how this issue has been dealt with in the space of hip hop, But Jonathan stereotypically gets highlighted for its excess in analyzing two songs. Uh, Mr. Windle by Arrested Development as well as What A Dollar Cost by Kendrick Lamar. We'll also be talking with musician and speaker Zulu Jones of bands Lulu prophet about his experience with being homeless and what that experience is like for people living it
3: we'll be back with all of that after the jump with all the political discourse over varying ideologies and policies and you know political promises made to strengthen america's middle class we all know that poor people more often than not are left out of the equation. Least among those who are thought about is America's homeless populations, is perhaps the most voiceless constituency in the country.
4: Journalist and social documentary photographer Jacob Rees um, did some documentation of the New York slums in 1890 with his book, How the Other Half Lives, which raised public awareness of subpar living conditions, causing some changes in the building codes around that time.
3: There's layers to homelessness. There's the homelessness that you see in the street on the daily, but then there's a hidden homelessness of housing precarity, families staying with relatives and the way that strains the social fabric of our communities or digs at our mental health and diminishes productivity, sleeping on couches, renting extended stay, hotel rooms, as well as families months behind in rent whom these possibilities loom right around the corner for.
4: I mean, the problem with our housing market is that it's driven? It's driven by the needs of the wealthy, or not the needs of the wealthy? The desires of the wealthy, and not the needs of our communities. And so, um, even in Athens, we're seeing we're seeing a lot of like what I would call like compression in the housing market, such that there's not even housing for middle class people being built. Like, if you make between um, let's say fifty and a hundred thousand dollars a year, maybe you've got some kids. Um, like there's not even housing being built for you. The house, the housing that's being built is for is marketed towards students who are you know from like the wealthy Al- Atlanta suburbs whose parents are paying rents for them. they got affinity pools on the roof and gyms and like all of this fancy study spaces and pool rooms, etc. Um, or you know for university professors and the like the managerial class, of folks that can afford, you know, $400,000, $500,000 mortgage for a house. Um, And so what we're seeing is um, middle-class people are moving into formerly working-class neighborhoods because that's the only place they can find housing within their income levels. It's causing um, single-family homes in neighborhoods like where me and Mac live um, that typically were very blue-collar neighborhoods, um those are now being marketed towards people you know professional managerial class of you know these like wealthier whiter uh kind of people uh, as a result so like people are getting forced out not necessarily because it's like hip and cool to live in these neighborhoods because middle class people don't even have a choice either and so it has a cascading effect where then working class people who have lived in these communities like generationally oftentimes whose families. Grew up here, and their grandparents, and for many, many generations, have lived in places like East Athens, um, are being are being displaced. They call like the the Oglethorpe Clark County line, like the Trail of Tears, as Black people are getting pushed out into these more more rural areas where they don't have access to public transportation. The school systems are worse. Um, they have to feel they have to fear from white supremacist violence, violence from the police. When the police get fired from a place like Athens for, I don't know, running someone over with a cop car, um, they they get fired and they get hired in the next county over the next day. And that's where low-income and Black folks are being forced to go live. We're also seeing, um, uh, recently in, in Athens, um, a lot of issues with the um, mobile home communities. A lot of these trailers are old. People are living in 34-year-old trailers. And when these landlords, you know, up the rent... Or, or tell them, yes, in one case, with the predominantly Latinx community, the um, Tranquility neighborhood, they're just closing down the, the the park. And these trailers are so old that people, like, that moving companies won't even move them. So people don't even have the choice to take their home with them. Their only option is to watch it be destroyed because someone doesn't want to run a mobile home park anymore. And so the issues are overlapping. The issues are, um, compounding, they're cascading.
3: By the late 19th century, as urbanization expanded, many American towns and cities had significant numbers of homeless people. Now the issue is complicated, of course, like everything in life. But when you really break it down, there's five major reasons why people go homeless in America. One, lack of affordable housing. Two, unemployment. Three, poverty. Four, mental illness and the lack of needed services. And then five, substance abuse and lack of needed services as well. All right, now let's dive into that just a little bit. So one, lack of affordable housing. High rent burdens, overcrowding, and substandard housing have not only forced many people to become homeless, but it has put a large and growing number of people at risk of becoming homeless. Number two, Unemployment. If you lose your job, you can't pay your bills.
4: Unemployment, underemployment are huge factors in this. It's said that in a place like Athens, the issue is not the cost of housing. The issue is is the low wage floor um, that people are working. You know, I think we have a 38% poverty rate, but like a 3% unemployment rate. Which means 35% of people in Athens fully employed, working 40 hours a week, and still not able to make ends meet. So then you see... Uh, folks staying in relationships that are toxic and abusive because they can't afford to live on their own. Um, you see, like you know, folks like you know me, Max, We're we're in our, in our late twenties, early thirties, mid thirties, like living in roommate situations rather than the you know the um, classic ideal of like home ownership um, because folks just can't afford to live on their own because of. The wage thing, and so a, a question that often comes to our mind, my mind, as you know, working in local government is like, what do you tackle first? Do you tackle the housing, or do you tackle the the wage piece? And for me, I think tackling the housing piece makes more sense. I mean, I think there's a lot we can do to uh, ally ourselves with organized labor, both in supporting the demands of workers organizing in their workplaces. Um, uplifting those demands in the form of like, resolutions we pass also thinking creatively about how we can pass local policy to improve working conditions such that at least people have that alleviated even if we can't raise the minimum wage because of state law preemptions but really to me, I mean we, we have a budget of about $150 million a year, uh, only 2% of which we spend on housing and development per year I think it breaks down my math kind of shoddy, like maybe $4 million a year like, that's bullshit. Um, thinking about how we could instead invest more aggressively in social housing, in a variety of housing types um, that are owned by the Athens Housing Authority or, you know, other nonprofit entities like a land trust or a Habitat for Humanity such that we can, you know, alleviate this burden on the housing market in the way that it's tearing at the social fabric in our neighborhoods um, it feels like something that we have the most control over and like a very, um, like, a, like a good place to start. Um, we might not, you know, I, I think that um, like the wage situation is something that is a m- more people powered. Like it takes people to organize in order for us to get behind their organized demands. But like we have perfect control over the housing stock and building more housing. Like there's nothing stopping us from doing that, you know, to wait around for someone to tell us to do that. Um, th- we've got studies on studies that show us it's necessary. And so I think that's somewhere, like, as much as I like, with the issue of poverty, I think over- organized labor is a really important pl- thing to support in order to um, help us ease the burden of housing being a commodity and so many b- basic public goods, you know, just basic human needs being commodified. Um, we could also decommodify them. Those needs as a government by taking aggressive action to just invest more heavily in it.
3: Number three, poverty. This one's kind of self-explanatory. If you don't make a living wage, how the fuck you're supposed to live? Number four, mental illness. Now, with the limited supply of publicly supported psychiatric beds. Getting access to treatment for severe mental illnesses such as schizophrenia and bipolar disorder is becoming ever and ever more restricted. So as a result, this leaves an increasing number of people who require intensive services like this to remain unstable and experience all the negative consequences because they have to remain with that illness for such a long time. And one of those consequences can end up being homelessness. And number five, substance abuse. 38% of homeless people were dependent on alcohol 26% abused drugs. Alcohol abuse is more common in older generations while drug abuse is more common in the homeless youth.
4: So this issue of um, substance abuse among folks, I think you, I mean, I think at various points in housing precarity, if you're living with four roommates or if you're living in an extended stay hotel or if you're living on the street, um, 38% of people surveyed um, who were living out um, in various stages of homelessness or depending on alcohol and 26 abuse other drugs. And if you think about it, if you're living outside, fuck it. I would be drunk every day. Like, that makes, that makes total sense. And it's, you know, studies have shown that it is a lot easier to get off drugs for you to get employment that is gainful and stable, um, for you to access the supports you need, and, you know, pull yourself up by the bootstraps, et cetera, you know, quote unquote. Um, if you have a roof over your head, if you have that basic stability of somewhere to come home to every night, place where you can take a shower, get a good night's sleep, have some privacy, have some peace and quiet. And so this idea of like a housing first model of dealing with homelessness, of just giving people permanent supportive housing um, and, you know, coupling that with wraparound services to help people get jobs, get education, get transportation, get counseling services, get addiction treatment, um, is a lot more effective than constantly funding these overcrowded shelters, shuttling people between jails and mental facilities um, when they get into scuffles on the street. I think that reminds me, one of the things we don't really talk about with homelessness, I think in the recent conversations around, um, I hesitate to say police reform, but like uh, police I guess, like the decentralization of police to our public safety response. We talk a lot about how often people who are homeless encounter, encounter the police when they're panhandling, when they're publicly intoxicated, when they might be having a mental health crisis. But also, the amount of crime perpetrated against homeless people um, I think is severely underreported. I hear reports of it all the time from folks that work out in the community, you know, go out to these encampments and feed folks and you know help folks get what they need hand warmers logs to burn on the fire tents sleeping bags and the amount of sexual assaults and uh just physical assaults um the amount of theft that these people um experience and then because they are marginalized because they might be camping on private property um because they might be um addicted to drugs or you know have a criminal history they don't reach out to law enforcement for Support when they get raped or something like that because they're living in such a like a liminal space in society. And so when we think about dealing with the issue of homelessness, like, oh, let's diversify our, you know, public safety response so you have more compassionate first responders out, like helping homeless folks, like connect them with services. Also, let's alleviate the issue of homelessness through a housing first model where we just get people housing so that they aren't the victims of crime either so they're not getting their shit stolen or the shit kicked out of them you know in my district we've had shootings uh, homeless encampments sexual assaults like all this crazy stuff that people aren't reporting to the cops that could be alleviated if these if these folks weren't forced to live in these ramshackle communities together you know you know uh based on affinity or based on shared drug addiction or based on purely the fact that there like there's only one encampment left in town that hasn't been cleared.
0: Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of and audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. at and
3: Hey, so, okay, we're here with band leader, songwriter, entrepreneur, and social media influencer. And you know what? Just all-around good guy, my homie zulu jones of the band zulu prophet how you doing Zulu?
2: i'm good man i'm glad to get in here and get to sit down and talk to you man i'm appreciating uh, seeing all the stuff you've been getting into especially with this podcast man
3: what we've been talking about today is we're talking about homelessness in america pretty much the five major reasons that people fall into homelessness um substance abuse mental illness uh lack of affordable housing Poverty and unemployment um, Before that, we were you know, Doing the, the usual rambling off Of statistics and facts 30% of this, 40% of that And It just, when, when you go about Doing things these ways, you have a habit of Thinking of it as numbers And you start to forget that each one of those n- Numbers, quote unquote Is a human life, that somebody Who dreamt of being something Who feared this who wanted that, you know And you lose you lose track of the human experience with it And that's why I wanted to talk to you Because um, just as long as I've known you I've known you through several, you know what I mean through, through Pretty much through a glow up, you know what I'm saying Like I didn't know you earlier in life But at this phase that I've met you I've known you when you were homeless for multiple years You know what I'm saying And I've watched you work your way out of it So I've, I'm just curious just to start off is Could you give us some insight as to like what it felt like when you found yourself getting into that position.
2: I had an uh, active addiction for 30 years and that caused the failure of the relationship with the uh, woman I moved to Georgia with and at the end of that I found myself walking down Wheaton Street with my guitar and a couple of bags of belongings down to River Street and I remember being scared. Because I had never been homeless before in my life, and um, the prospect of living in a city, not knowing anybody, not knowing where to go or what to do, and then seeing the condition of a lot of the other homeless people or people I assumed to be homeless in the area was pretty intimidating. Because um, you know, you mentioned men- mental illness and substance abuse. I see those are the two. Two, co- two largest common, greatest common denominators
3: amongst homeless people. So you would say that, like, if you were making, like, if you were even ranking those top five reasons, like give you said those two would probably be number one and two? Yeah, from my own anecdotal experience,
2: that I would say that a coupling of undiagnosed mental illness, um, self-medication... And if you abuse a substance over a long enough period of time, you'll become addicted to it. So when you've got those two things happening and maybe somebody's operating in an alternate reality or not seeing things accurately, the substance abuse on top of that, um, it's a bad formula. It's unsustainable. Somebody is going to have a hard time maintaining just the regular routines of life, like paying bills and
3: generating income. So if you don't mind, and and please let me know if, like, I'm get if it gets into details that you don't perhaps want to share, but like what, what were the, was there, was a, there almost was there a warning or did, were there like, were there signs that you had that were leading towards that that if you had paid attention to or if you had been in a better frame of mind, you would have been able to address to avoid, you know, finally being in that situation where you're walking down to River Street homeless? Well, that's the
2: problem with addiction because I wasn't able to, accurately assess my life and sometimes you it takes the uh, takes drastic amounts of pain so it wouldn't have it would have probably been impossible for me to quit my addiction had I not become homeless. Becoming homeless and the amount of pain that that entailed was enough motivation for me to seek treatment in a 12 step program and then just start putting it back together.
3: So I've seen you I don't even want to say slowly work your way out of it because like if I guess during the during the time when you were kind of working your way out of it, it seemed like it was like a slow process. But then, you know, the next thing you know, you haven't been in that position for at least five years now, longer than that. So so describe to me, like after you got that motivation to get out of that situation, what are some of the the things that you did to get out and even perhaps if you want to go in further like some like can is that something that could be replicated in other people
2: yeah it most definitely can be replicated in other people because the turning point was a change of mind so i got sober moved into recovery housing and got a roommate and that roommate situation turned out to be bad it was a bad judge judgment on my part so i found myself homeless for a second time but this time i didn't have an addiction so there was something i experienced that was uh, a type of freedom that i've never experienced before because one of the things about homelessness is is that you don't have to get up off the bench if you don't feel like it so one of the dangers of it a friend of mine passed away back in november right after my mom did but i talked to him early on in that uh homeless days and he said man, make sure you change your socks frequently because your feet are your transportation. And he said, don't get comfortable. He said, because there's enough food in every trash can to eat. And there's always gonna be somebody willing to give you clothing. So those two basic needs are met. Um, It was at that time, that that second round of homelessness that I decided that I was going to live indoors on my own terms. And I defined that as, um, I wasn't going to live indoors unless music paid for it. So my, 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 my caloric intake was dependent on how much money I earned. So there was an impetus to get up every day and take my guitar down to River Street and go and play until I had enough money to satisfy my calorie needs until the following day. So that started to implement discipline because you can't always predict the rain. So if you make $50 one day and you spend it all anticipating working the next day, then your money's going to be gone. But I'm going to say this, like I had I had some advantages that may not be available to, the, to, to everybody. I had parents that really, really stressed reading and comprehensive education. So um, a human being that can read can always teach themselves i had a lot of people um, reach out so it wasn't it wasn't something that i just came up out of by my own hand there was a lot there were a lot of people that saw effort and then lent some aid and you know the aid might have been a uh, back porch to sleep on on a rainy night but it's through those small steps that and determination that i was able to say I'm going to get out of homelessness. Now I did it the hard way. I could have easily gotten a job and traded my time for money, but that didn't seem appealing to me after having experienced the freedom of homelessness. Like going to work for somebody that I respect less than myself, who I don't feel is my equal intellectually, spiritually, or psychically, to go have to take orders from somebody in that position, it became abhorrent to me. So I decided that I would either Make it by my own hand or starve to death in the process, and given those two options, my natural instincts and my natural programming from the DNA sought to stay alive, and so I was able to improvise. I mean, I used to live next door to you, man, when that was the first place I lived after that round of homelessness. And it was because the kids that lived next door to you said that, Yo, man, you can get the couch for 50 bucks a month, and so. Getting sober was the thing that allowed me to clear my mind up enough to execute my willpower. Because willpower, I think, in my opinion, is um, directing your existence and reality in the direction that you want it to. So one of two things will happen. I'll either reach my goals or I'll die in the process of trying to reach my goals. In which case I didn't fail. I simply ran out of time.
3: Now that that darker period is gone what are you doing these days like you know what i'm saying you're like uh, you're I, I know people that don't even in town who don't even know like your name is zulu jones motherfuckers just see you hey zulu prophet yo you know zulu prophet so i mean you're like you're that dude now you know what i'm saying so uh could you tell our listeners a little bit about what, what it is that you do uh not only in savannah but just like your your musical endeavors that are nationwide at this point thank you for giving me
2: a chance to talk about this First thing is I've got to shout out um, Rhett Coleman and O'Sheen Daly. Those are my bandmates. I don't do any of this by myself. So I found O'Sheen kicking around um, at the wormhole and O'Sheen found Rhett kicking around at the bayou and together we've...
3: Sorry, y'all, we're getting a little local. These are Savannah spots. <laughs> These are Savannah spots we're talking about like all oh, y'all know it, but sorry. The, the wormhole and the bayou are venues in Savannah that we, we play at often
2: when we're in town. Yeah, I'm I'm sitting here talking to you, and I forget that this is for everybody. So, um, we started on River Street, me and O'Sheen, with two acoustic guitars in front of us. And from that, wound up uh, transferring to electric instruments and started building a reputation. And eventually, um, we wound up touring halfway across the U.S. into Texas. We've got the Southeast, maybe not on lockdown, but... They know our names when you say our names in Florida and South Carolina North Carolina Alabama. Um and they're they're learning our names in the Ukraine. They're learning our names in uh Tokyo and they're learning our names and everything else according
3: to our analytics. Well, before we get into the analytics, I want you to what type of music y'all make it? Cuz like we're a hip hop show, so you know, already Already we're breaking that code, but I'm telling y'all it's dope, but I want want him to tell you in his own words what it is Zulu Prophet does.
2: All right, first, so for my hip-hop credentials, Melly Mel used to live on the floor of my building where I grew up at in the Bronx. (laughs) Straight up, real deal, yeah. Yeah, so hip-hop happened in my neighborhood. I was on my back break dancing on cardboard in 82, 83. So mad love to to hip-hop and what it stood for and its origins and the roots of it. Uh, and to all them bands like Arrested Development and Public Enemy that was trying to put something positive into the people's head but got destroyed by the damn blood-sucking Babylon bullshit record industry. The motherfuckers, they're doing nothing but selling souls. They're sending little black boys and black girls into hell in prison with their fucked up. Uh, Yeah, all right. I'm sorry. Earlier conversation. And so my band right now, um, we play psychedelic funk, reggae rock music and um, we've all got different backgrounds. Our drummer, he's a hard hitter that's got a, a, a punk rock and 90s grunge vibe. The other dude from Ireland, O'Sheen, he uh, had a flamenco guitar background but fell in love with the blues and uh, also does electronic music production under the name Ocean Man and uh, Obama Bowen Colonial Effects. And I played in a reggae band out of North Carolina for about 10 years called Imani Reggae Band out of the Piedmont Triad area. And through that, um, got to open up for just about all the major reggae acts coming through the Southeast Bernard Spear, Eagle Mouse, Yellow Man, Jimmy Cliff. Um, and thankfully, you know, from the reincarnation of the Zulu Prophet in Savannah, we got to open up for the Whalers and play on their equipment. In 2017, yeah, my drummer sat on the Whalers drums, man, and me and O'Sheen ran through that bass rig. (laughs) So we got to open up, you know, to share the stage and share equipment with people that we've been listening to all our lives. So what you guys got coming up next? Next big thing is going to be on March 13th at the Wingman Clubhouse. We're throwing a party. We've got a Cheesesteak Jack food truck going to be there, and... I've got James Brown's grandson coming to DJ part of the party. That's going to be at the Wingman Clubhouse here in Savannah, Georgia. That's
3: the Wingman Motorcycle Club. 69 Ross Road starts at about 8 p.m. Hey, Zulu, man. It was good talking to you, yo. Um, Make sure that you guys go to ZuluProfit.com so you can check out some of that music.
0: Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of smoke and audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. at and You
4: know what? When I do good deeds, I don't ever record or take pictures because... Why would I catch a person at their lowest point in life?
0: And plus, I don't need a, a, a visual of what I did right.
4: I got the experience and that shit is the feeling and that's something you can't take from me. You know what I'm saying? Take from them. That's the real human trait. So to see anybody
3: marketing, they so feeding, them, feeding the homeless or feeding somebody that need help to me,
0: be corny as fuck, man. I just gotta tell you that.
3: That was the voice and thoughts of rapper Waka Flocka addressing current social media trend of rappers, uh, you know, helping out homeless people, but for the purposes of posting it on Instagram or Twitter and shit like that.
4: So there's a lot of rappers who have referenced experiences of homelessness in their rhymes. Weekend, Logic, Kodak Black, Rick Rock, Say Rocky, JLA Tonica, all at one point. Um, before they hit it big, um, you know, they discuss those experiences of being without the home, without a home. YG and Juicy J, J YG and G C J talk about economic precarity, almost leaving them without shelter on "Really B" and "All I Need," respectively.
3: Now, from my searches and my experience, it, it's a rare occasion that rappers use the full length of a song to dedicate towards the specific topic of homelessness, but. Um, generally in an art form where poverty and the progression from poverty is such a centralized theme you do commonly hear uh, people recollect or reflect on their experiences with homelessness the first track that we have uh, perhaps I mean in all honesty it's probably the most famous uh, rap song dealing with the topic of homelessness I'm talking about the 1992 Arrested Development track, Mr. Wendell. This song was on their really successful album, uh, Three Years, Five Months, and Two Days in the Life of. It was certified gold, and let's check it out a little bit. Don't
1: you know, play Mr. Wendell. That's his name. No
3: one
0: ever knew his name because he's a no one. Never thought twice about spending on an old bum until I had a chance to really get to know one. Now that I know him, to give him money is a charity.
3: I was a real little kid when this came out. This is almost like the perfect example of when, you know, there's a, there's like a song that you remember from your youth that you always liked, but you were probably too young to really pay attention to what it was about. I didn't really put together the pieces of the song until well into my teens.
4: I think the second, I think the, like the third and fourth lines of the song are really powerful. Two dollars means means a snack for me, but it means a big deal to you, and I think it's something that's echoed. We're kind of, like, in the inverse on the Kendrick Lamar song, um, where, on that song, he's talking about how, oh, man, this man's asking for too much money, da-da-da, what's he going to use it for? Whereas, like, for someone who might not eat for days or has been awake for days because of the sounds of traffic on the overpass under which they sleep, that $2 is going to enable them to go buy the little, like, like, uh, um, like, bag of chips or whatever from the gas station like transformative in that moment um instead of like putting i appreciate the way this um the plight of living living on the streets and sort of humanizes it in a way you don't really see in a lot of hip-hop songs you see see a lot of people like kodak black etc like i was homeless but now i came up and everything's good rather than sort of just sitting with the discomfort of like you know this man with no clothes no money no plate
3: in essence is kind of a don't judge a book by its cover sort of things. Like you see these people in the street and because of our social statuses or because of the way that our society is organized, you look down on people like that or you don't give them second thought. And even when we're doing things like reading statistics and we're throwing numbers and this percentage of this and this makes up that percentage of that, you know, you, you, some, you sometimes have to check yourself and remind yourself it's like yo like these are people like each one of these numbers is an actual life an actual person with a personality and hopes and fears and dreams and aspirations and all that shit. so you have to take all of that into account i feel like that's what the song does really well um it's one of those things where someone who's listening to it and they start picking up on what it's about perhaps they're going through their life Kind of having that same sort of attitude. I mean, nobody's nobody's perfect, so everybody's guilty of, you know, I guess falling into that mind frame at some point in time.
4: And then we get into this part I think is really interesting as well about, you know, Mr. Wendell has freedom, a free that you think that you and I think is dumb. Like, um, there are people who want to live outside. I haven't really read a lot about the psychology of it. I mean, perhaps it is a side effect of capitalism, people kinda of give up and, you know, no longer seek out employment or housing because they are, are so beaten down by the way our system works. But also, I mean, there's some people who just eschew societal norms of like, why well, I gotta, you know, work a job and live in a house and pay rent, pay a mortgage and blah, 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 blah. And kind of given and thinking about how our public policy can create space for those folks, I think it's an interesting discussion to have. Recently on the commission, we've been talking about hostile architecture. That's like, the armrests in the middle of the bench that keep people from laying down or, like, the spikes outside of a fucking, like, boutique shop that keep a homeless person from reclining um, in the, under their awning to keep out of the rain. Uh, Boulders placed under underpasses that we've seen happen recently in Atlanta to prevent homeless people from camping there. Like, how do we, like, make our public spaces actually public in a way that values human life over property, you know a lot of times the hostile architecture is installed to protect business owners to create a better aesthetic in spaces um or you know there's also the logic of just like oh well they can do crime just not here and so it's constant shuttling along with people that that that, that don't play the game that you know i just want to be chilling on a park bench you know drinking a 40 in the middle of the day and that's like what they want to do um And so, in addition to, like, solving homelessness, also thinking about, like, how do we create more space for people who want to live alternatively? Um, This line in particular kind of reminds me of.
3: Another thing about this song um, or his approach, their approach to this topic that differs from modern hip hop is the explicit messaging of, like, anti-materialism. That's behind this song. That's something that I feel is almost kind of completely absent from mainstream hip hop. I mean, this was a very popular album and a very popular song. So at the time that this song came out, it was kind of like a, you know, it was like a mainstream song, more or less. And to have that sort of message of, you know, there's more to life than the things that we acquire, the material things that we acquire. Stylistically, I would say the song is very laid back and melodic. It's just a pretty song, you know? It's just a very pleasant song to listen to. And you could, for, for tracks like this, you could take the approach of, A, this is a very solemn and serious uh, topic that we're dealing with. And perhaps you can make your point in a or get the point across in a certain way doing that, but making, for all intents and purposes, a pop song about that subject matter definitely makes it have a wider reach. And I think that speech, everybody in Arrested of development, you know, they I, I I would imagine they already do, but they can like sleep really well at night knowing that this song probably changed or influenced millions of people's attitude towards homeless people in America and just homeless people in general. And uh, you know, second second guessing how they interact with them or what they do or don't do to help.
4: Okay. And now our last song for the day. Kendrick Lamar, how much a dollar costs?
0: walked out to gas station, a homeless man with a seventeen complexion, asked
5: me what team stressing about in.
4: He describes He's like Sitting in this luxury car, uh, a man—you know—he's he, pumping gas. man comes up and asks um, if he can, you know, lend, lend some money. I think this is set in like an African country. Um, there's just like a couple of references. Um, he talks about uh, ten rand, which is the South African currency. In this case, it's uh, ten of those are equivalent to one dollar. And the way that he stresses the phrase in the lyrics sounds similar to 10 grand, which kind of creates this like double entendre or something like that, where like he's implying the homeless man is asking for too much. So, again, in contrast to the Mr. Wendell song, like, you know, a dollar is too much versus two dollars could change your life. Um, But in reality, Kendrick admits that he's got enough money to pay the guy whatever he wants, even though, you know, he goes on to talk about. Um, oh, man, this guy just wants crack. I told him to beat it. I don't want to contribute money just for his pipe. Um, which is like a, I, I mean, like a common a common refrain, I think, we hear in discussions of homelessness. Like, oh, I don't want to give this people money because they're just going to spend it on drugs, etc. I honestly don't care what somebody spends money on if they're homeless. Like, you know, if you guys smoke crack because you're living outside and that's the only way to make your day better, you know, you do you. you I'm not going to like... Like playing people are like, oh no, shop on Amazon. God knows what drugs. Shop on Amazon. God knows what drugs Jeff Bezos can afford to buy, and like we don't question. Oh, he earned it. He's allowed to do drugs illegally, and we're allowed to give us our, give him our money for that. You know, a homeless person wants two dollars. Go buy some crack. Like that ain't really their fault. Like, I would, I would I would, rather them not be in a position where they gotta ask money for drugs. I would love for them to get help with that situation. But, you know, in that moment, we just gotta see people for people and see what they're, what, you know, and just, like, not judge what they need to do in order to, like, be okay in a moment. And I think this, in the second verse, he gets into an interesting... The anecdote goes on, and he says, like, the guy's getting mad at him. Um, like like I was supposed to save him, like I'm the reason he's homeless and asking me for a favor. Um, you know, like this guy's getting upset that like Kendrick won't give him a dollar. And I think this, I mean, this is a common experience I've had when like I've had homeless people, you know, as Meg knows, a lot of homeless folks come to our house to ask for money because they know I live here. And I've got people who are got upset at me. Like, what do you mean? You can't go to the ATM right now. And I think understanding the emotional precarity that comes with just like, living so ruggedly like sure I don't appreciate when somebody like demands and assumes I should do something for them but if you're like living on the edge like that you're about to snap at any second think about it Uh think about the you the, the the thin ice you skate on emotionally every day walking for miles in the sun or the cold with clothes that are dirty and you haven't eaten um and I don't know if people always like think of that background when in interactions with folks living outdoors um when those interactions become heated and then in the third verse Kendrick gets into like my selfishness is what got me here who the fuck am I kidding like there is this like the fact that someone like Kendrick can have so much wealth is predicated on the fact that some folks like this man he's talking about interacting with have nothing like you know the massive mass accumulation of wealth requires exploitation of people you know it requires in order for you to have the nice house in the formerly working class era. that means that somebody has got to move to or live in the trailer or end up living with a family extended stay hotel and that kid because he's grown up with housing insecurity ends up homeless himself like um these things i think i think it's interesting how in this um song he's like touching on the sense of like of, like responsible responsibility we all carry for like upholding the system that exploits folks holds folks down such that you know such that we can accumulate wealth uh, but he doesn't all, like doesn't like all the way go there he just kind of like thinks about it a little bit and then you know, I guess gets drives off in this car
3: yeah it's it's such a good song I, I'm pretty sure that we talked about this track on another episode but in a different context but you know, my my two cents about the song is I love the cinematic nature of this song and how everything about it musically serves the narrative that uh, Kendrick is painting. It's brilliant stuff. Well, all right. I think you should spit some bars. I don't want to hear it. Joel, start a beat for her.
4: Sure I might die from the virus or perish in the forest fire from the dry climate or expire in the hand of bullets when they pull me over driving for a waiting trial for the words I'm rhyming can't even count the ways to kick the bucket the system stuck in 1862 and whenever we try to bucket the best case scenario we end up bloody knuckles in the worst case we end up in a hearse hey remember with destruction from her we're never lived to see the world that we worked into and earth but I keep facing it's worth it and if they gotta put me in the dirt then I say that it's a fair trade for building the the first step in the staircase. But that's it for this week. I'm
3: Lingua Franca. And I'm Dope Knife. We're
4: Waiting on Reparations. Hurry up. See you next time.
3: Peace. Waiting on Reparations is a production of iHeartRadio.
4: Listen to Waiting on Reparations on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts